0: introducing the new starbucks pistachio cream cold brew silky pistachio cream cold foam tops our bold smooth cold brew for a delicious twist on a favorite winter flavor make today a good day order ahead on the starbucks app
1: that cold case you're listening to nasty stuff
0: but you know what else is a crime missing even a moment of whatever you're doing to go on a drink run luckily there's drizzly the number one app for alcohol delivery With Drizzly, you can compare prices on the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered in under 60
1: minutes. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today.
0: Hi, this is Alan Clark at the Hollies, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcast.
1: History in five songs. With host Martin Popov, a production of Pantheon Podcasts. Let's rock out
0: with Martin. Yes, indeed. Welcome back for another episode of History and Five Songs with Martin Popoff, brought to you by the good people at Pantheon Podcast. We are part of the vast and growing Pantheon Podcast Network. We're available on Spotify, iTunes, and over 40 other podcast platforms. But yes, I notice most people are listening to this show on Spotify. Very cool. all right. So this episode, uh, this is episode 95. We're going to be calling this rough patch successes. Um, bit of a story here. Uh, we did a, uh, Patreon, uh, exclusive get together, uh, for our, uh, YouTube video show, um, the contrarians last night. And, uh, this was, uh, basically an idea that came out of kind of a grab bag discussion of a lot of different things, but, uh, it was just sort of a, a trend and not exactly an idea for the Contrarians or for History in Five Songs that was brought up by uh, Ben Nicastro about this... um this idea of bands that uh, triumphed with a with a pretty decent album, even though they were going through a rough patch. So I uh, I instantly sort of glommed onto that idea and said, Ben, give me permission to uh, do this one. And he gave me the thumbs up. So uh, so this is uh, thanks to Ben that we've got this idea. I thought it was pretty cool. And then I, I asked, hey, does anybody have any examples? And we went through some examples. Some, you know, I would have probably come up with or uh, definitely am going to include. And I will... I will name check the guys as we do that. Um, but other ones, um, that I thought, eh, I may, I may have something better for this one. Uh, whatever. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so we've got five examples here of bands going through a rough patch and, and coming up with a, with a pretty damn good album, uh, despite what was going on. And I've got some honorable mentions as well. Um, so yeah, this, uh, this will have some, some rich, uh, examples, uh, to this situation. So let's get, uh, let's get going with our first track here. Um, take a listen to this. This is Genesis with Dance on a Volcano. All right, so this uh, actually was a choice brought up, suggested by Ben Nicastro. Um, so what we have here is Genesis uh, releasing an album in February 96, after their last album was way back a year and a half earlier, granted it was a double, November of 1974. Uh, the Lamb Lies Down on Broadway always voted um, the second greatest progressive rock album of all time. Um, the big deal here, of course, is the band was losing their frontman, their... Uh, their vocalist, their kind of visual focal point, uh, given all the, you know, elaborate theatrics and costuming, uh, in Peter Gabriel. Um, and you know, obviously this is definitely, uh, the definition of a rough patch. Uh, they actually went and tried out a bunch of different front men and, uh, and weren't, weren't sort of, uh, finding anybody. And then one day, their drummer Phil Collins went and sung squonk and they all thought wow this is pretty amazing this guy's pretty good and and the uh, the thing i've always just marveled at with genesis is how uh you know peter gabriel has a pretty distinct voice as does phil and yet they're kind of similar to each other so we've got two distinct voices that turned out to be fairly similar to each other um and obviously phil went on to be an amazing amazing vocalist through a ton of genesis albums and they went on through to uh, to great success this album itself was a big success the critics loved it um and uh and they had been in uh you know upwards to the tune of four hundred thousand dollars in debt, and this album and the success of this album uh went a long ways to paying off a lot of that debt um but yeah P- Peter uh had decided to leave halfway through uh the previous tour Steve Hackett, who is on this album, still in the band at this point, um but soon not to be uh he had already made a solo album and uh and even Tony banks had a bunch of songs ready to go for a solo album. But uh, he decided to channel those songs back into this situation. Uh, Peter Gabriel had dropped by to, and and was surprised at how uh, they had pulled an iron out of the fire, so to speak, and how good this album was. Um, it's got excellent, excellent David Henschel production on it. Um, so all told, it's a it's a triumph. Dance on a Volcano, Entangled Squonk, Madman Moon, Robbery, Assault, and Battery, um, which actually, that one kind of points to the uh, the the kind of pop configured a uh, direction of the later stuff I thought was pretty cool. Some really good mellow stuff on here. Ripples, a trick of the tail, Los Endos, um, you know, Phil Phil, isn't uh super high in the songwriting credits. Um, and this was the first album where they, where they actually kind of broke up the credits. It was a, was a band credit before. Um, but a lot of uh, a lot of Banks and Rutherford on here. Uh, a lot of Mike Rutherford writing, Tony Banks. Um, Steve Hackett really doesn't figure super high in the credits. Um, so yeah, pretty interesting. But it turned out to be a, a great album. Everybody loved it. Cool album cover art, hypnosis artwork. Um, and Genesis was on their way. So this is definitely an example of a, a rough patch success. All right, let's move on to our number two selection. Take a listen to this. This is Aerosmith with Chiquita. All right. So there you go. Um, this was, uh, last night when we talked about, um, uh, contrarian choices, everybody, uh, you know, in, in the little gathering had to pick a contrarian choice, you know, in, in, um, in sort of, uh, you know, the, the spirit of what the, uh, what the main show is, uh, is for the contrarians, our video show and, uh, and Tim Durling, um, from New Brunswick, uh, he he's actually been a guest on on the Contrarians as well. They did a Queensrÿke episode. He picked this as a Contrarian choice, uh, and he says, you know, it, it may not be the greatest uh, Aerosmith album. I mean, most people agree on Rocks, but anyways, um, I I thought, um, yeah, maybe someone mentioned this, but it is a perfect choice for a uh, a rough patch album, right? Um, so what happens is that you know. A lot of drug problems, a lot of fighting in the band. Um, Steven Tyler is having a hard time coming up with any lyrics. Um, they're actually recording the music. They still don't have lyrics. Everybody's fighting. Jack Douglas, um, is producing to begin with. Um, and he's going through a divorce, uh, and the band actually all likes his wife. So there's trouble there. And Jack is eventually out of the situation. Joe Perry gets ticked off. He's out of the situation. Um, you know, they had worked on a fair bit of that. Um, he had done guitar parts for uh No Surprise, Chiquita, Cheesecake, Three Miles, Smile and Bone to Bone, Coney Coney Island Whitefish Boy. Um but uh, but then, uh, you know, once he blazes out of the scene, uh, Jimmy Crespo replaces him and and does some more work on the album. And the funny thing about this record, there's really no credits that, that really sort all this out for you in it. But um, and then Gary Lyons comes in um, kind of a weird choice for an Aerosmith producer, but he comes in and finishes the job. And it's a great sounding Aerosmith album. Um, I'm not sure who we should give credit to for that. Eventually, Steven Tyler did come up with the lyrics um you know no surprise was really cool um because it kind of goes through the the origins of the band uh mia was a lullaby he wrote for uh for his daughter on the piano reefer Headed woman a cover an old 40s tune remember walking in the sand i th- i totally like that song i mean it's it's fine but it's a it's a cover kind of an old doo-woppy sort of thing but uh but the likes of chiquita and cheesecake um you know joe perry had mentioned and i thought this was kind of an insightful thing he said that the guitar interplay that that ron wood keith Richards sort of thing between him and brad whitford he thought was getting even better and better and this is some of the best examples of that and i i totally agree there's some really arcane interesting riffs on this pretty heavy album they got the cover of the yard yard birds uh, think about it on it i play this album all the time i i like it more than draw the line absolutely squarely more than draw the line um and it's really really close for me Whether it's the second best Aerosmith album, uh, kind of tied with toys, uh, toys in the attic rocks, rocks is unassailable, I think is the first one, um, but uh, no, great album. Not crazy about the album cover art. Uh, you know, it's so drab and black, and obviously they're all covered in. You know, it's it's the mind thing. Night in the ruts, right in the nuts. Ha ha, and all that. Um, but no, the logo's not there, and it's all kind of like painted on the rocks. It's just just kind of really kind of depressing looking. But uh, but no, it's uh, so it had this very fragmented, uh, you know, hard to put together thing. Um, and you know, Joe Perry's basically out of the band, even though he's officially he is in the in the photo. And he's on, he's on more than half the album, I suppose. Um, but no, there you go. Uh, I think that's a great example of a, a rough patch uh, success. Um, let's take a short break. We'll be right back. All right, back again. History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff, episode 95, Rough Patch Successes. Let's take a listen to our third selection here and we shall discuss. This is Max Webster with Check. All right, this was a Tim Durling suggestion for for a good rough patch success and I thought it was a great example. Um Max Webster never made a bad album. They're all 8s, 9s and 10s kind of thing, I think. Um but when it came to their last album, they were really running out of steam. Kim Mitchell was quite cynical about uh this band ever making it. Um they you know, they'd been supported um by Rush who took them out on tours. Uh you know, they're all in the same office. Long story there. I I um I don't think I ever did an episode on this but anyways um so so they're like the baby rush they're part of the same management rush is taking them out as as a support act etc but you know things are just not breaking for them they're kind of going over everybody's heads they're a little bit strange obviously i love max webster my favorite canadian band of all time um but uh, so they come to this last album. First of all, they've got Jack Richardson producing. I don't think Jack was all that great a producer. Um, you know, he's known for Guess Who and whatnot. Uh, I, I don't think he did a great job on on uh, Stars Coliseum Rock. Um, but uh, but he's producing, and I actually think the 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 sound of this album is is pretty good. It's got it's got the big billowy sort of seventies hi fi heavy metal production that you get on the likes of something like a Pat Travers uh, heat in the streets, which Pat doesn't like. I love the production of that album. Um, so I think it sounds like that. It sounds like a big stadium rock album. Um, but what else about this being rough patch? Um, the band is pretty broke. They're really not making any money. They don't have very much money. Um, the big thing that happens here though, is Terry Watkinson, the keyboardist is gone kind of, He he starts he starts he's on one track but he's gone essentially he's replaced by uh, you know Doug Riley old Canadian legend doing some piano some clavinet actually some synth and then David Stone um, you know uh, somewhat notorious for his little run in um, uh, Rainbow on uh, on Long Live Rock and Roll in that tour Um, but he's he's in. Uh, he's in as keyboardist on here as well, um, and then it, this has the the infamous, really cool track. Um Battle Scar, where it's uh, all the Max guys and all the Rush guys together doing a song, this big, heavy, epic, really cool song. You know, Getty and uh, and Kim duetting on the vocals and Neil's in there drumming and and Gary's in there drumming. Um, so yeah, so the big deal is Terry Watkinson is their keyboardist, but not only the keyboardist, he's also occasional singer and he's a quite prolific songwriter in the band as well. So he's gone and we're missing that. Pie Dubois, uh, gladly, um, you know, fortunately is there still doing all the lyrics the lyrics are amazing um but it's a good heavy album um it's quite a heavy album uh, although i do like uh blue blue river uh liquor shine april in toledo um april yeah april in toledo uh, but yeah it's got some great songs on it in the world of giants uh, this this is one of the cooler rock songs check um so yeah, I think they pulled an iron out of the fire as well, and uh, and made a totally different album to their previous albums, uh, especially given that the previous album, A Million Vacations, is probably uh, their lightest album. Um, so it's the least heavy rock album, least you know guitar with distortion pedal on it, as it were. Uh, and this is their heaviest album. So so Max Webster closed out their um, their you know short career, uh, short, but uh, they did have a live album, a greatest hits album and one, two, three, four, five, five studio albums. Um, so it, it, it was a nice run. They're all amazing albums, but this last one is actually a pretty heavy album for them. So I think, I think they, uh, succeeded. Gary McCracken is, is great drumming on here. He gets great sound out of those, those storied, notorious, awesome tuned toms that he had. Dave Miles is in on bass. He does a good job. Uh, and then Kim. So yeah, so essentially what you're looking at here is, uh, is, uh, a four piece band, I suppose, um, uh, as opposed to the usual five piece. But they but they do triumph even though the band is crashing in flames. And then after this, they were pretty much done. They had this slow, painful fade where, you know, it becomes Kim Mitchell as a solo artist and he does those amazing, amazing five tracks on that EP, which is the greatest EP of all time. But there's also some going out as Max Webster, some revolving lineup, some different guys coming in. But yeah, they, they never made another album uh, as Max Webster. There you go all right so let's move on um take a listen to this this is our fourth selection here in history in five songs this is Aerosmith once again with Joni's Butterfly so we've got aerosmith in here twice this is from rock in a hard place issued august 27th 1982 Um, this is produced by jack richardson um, and what you have here is uh aerosmith going through even more of a of a rough patch or a different kind of rough patch i suppose um at this point, Steven's still a mess, um, you know, still hard coming up with lyrics. They've had, they've had kind of bad shows. They've had kind of a more patchy work situation for the last little while. Um, but what happens is they come back with this album in 82. So remember, their last studio album was now 1979. It's 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 three years ago, right? But a- an amazing record. I wanted to play you my favorite song on it, which is kind of a proggy, mellow, poppy, um, mystical sort of song. This Joni's Butterfly, you know, it's got prelude to Joni, which is really cool, uh, leads up to it. But it's also got your regular, you know, kick-ass songs on it. Lightning Strikes is really cool. Um. Jailbait's kind of like an OTT heavy one on here. Bolivia Ragamuffins just their usual kind of thing. So is Bitches Brew. Uh, Crimea River is uh, is a cover and it's it's eh, one of those one of those ballad kind of things, bluesy ballad. Um, but uh, Rock in a Hard Place, Cheshire Cat is cool. Jig is up. Push comes to shove. Um, and so the interesting thing on here at Brad Whitford was actually part of the situation early on, but he left after doing lightning strikes, which is a really cool song. Our band in the eighties Torque, we actually covered that song. We did that song. Um, but there's no Joe Perry on this album at all. Um, and, uh, and if you look at the back cover, they've got a uh, Rick Dufay pictured, but doesn't play. He came in after the album was recorded and the, the, the guy, the hero saving the entire situation and making this kind of a, like, uh, a, a link where things could have gone bad, but a link to, uh, I would say three more pretty darn solid Aerosmith albums in the 80s, although he isn't on them. Um, but yeah, after this, they do done with mirrors and permanent vacation and pump, which are all good albums. Um, But uh, Jimmy Crespo is the guy uh, writing... Every single song on here, in fact, um, I guess he's not—he's not credited on "Push Comes to Shove," "Prelude to Joni," which is only a minute 21 intro, and the cover. But he's on every single other song. Uh, Richie Supa is on um, credited uh, with "Lightning Strikes." Remember him from "Chip Away the Stone." Uh, Jack Douglas even gets a credit on Joni's "Butterfly," probably because that's such a production tour de force. Um, but yeah, Jimmy Crespo is the guy doing all the guitars and really saving this situation and making this a really good Aerosmith album. It sounds great. It sounds exactly in terms of the, the personality and complexion and the product mix of all the different styles, you know, which with, within fairly tight parameters. But, um, you know, the formula that you get, certainly across everything from Get Your Wings up to uh, this album, um, the 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 mix of styles and... Uh, and the amount of time they spend on all those styles is pretty much equal throughout all all of those albums, and uh, and that's why this uh, this feels like you know a perfectly normal, really cool Aerosmith album. So there you go. I think uh, I think this is a rough patch success as well. All right, let's move on. Our fifth and last selection here, uh, in terms of rough patch successes, take a listen to this. This is White Snake with Dancing Girls. <laughs> Stone. A
1: little, let it go underneath and get this stone. So just give me a night. Skip it back to the bowl. Town the spotlight. Woo! Come on, bring on the dancing girls. Bring on the dancing girls. Bring on the dancing girls.
0: You can. dance. All right. So, um, I love this album. I we actually did a Contrarians episode, a regular Contrarians where you know someone has to uh, believe that their favorite album by a band is a Contrarian choice, and I actually picked this as my favorite White Snake album of all time, Saints and Sinners, November 25th, 1982. So here's a situation again where the band is more or less in shambles. It's gonna be blown to pieces. Uh, David Coverdale's even gonna gonna leave the UK. And move move to the states. Uh, he's going to hook up with John Kellardner. They're going to get a new deal with Geffen, and they're going to go on to some pretty incredible success with a very different sounding band. But um, this is kind of the last throws of their bad deal with John Coletta. You know, notorious Deep Purple. Um, you know, r- related um, manager. Uh, you know, th- there's no money. Mickey Moody had already left the band, but he comes back for this album. Bernie. Um, you know. While they were working on it, they, you know, he, at one point he looked at David and said, are we just going to knock this thing on the head? This is, you know, this is not working out. This band is in trouble. Um, you know, and I think David was looking for a whole, uh, kind of like a redo in terms of the people in the band, although more so he just wanted success, I think. Um, but, um, it, it is going to happen. Um, but, I think, I think more of the redo, I suppose, uh, in what he wanted to have happen is just to get out of the bad deals. This, this, you know, the, the record deal with Liberty and the management deal with John Coletta and just, just get this whole thing fixed. So, but, um, they make a cracking album. I love this record. Um, I think, I think Ian Pace does an incredible job on this record. I think John Lord does an incredible job on this record. Um, you know you've got you've got a lot of sort of um cool hammond stuff uh from the deep purple days you get a really crisp production even though this was recorded uh, on a mobile at Clearwell castle and a few other places battery etc um but you know even that's a hodgepodge the putting it together was a hodgepodge the uh, the album cover is not very good um I always thought uh it's saints ampersand sinners and I always thought it it should have been saints and a n sinners so it so it matches the come and get it and the ready and willing right um but even they screw that up it's got just this stupid looking picture of just david on the back it's just everything about it is kind of a mess except for what you get in the grooves so to speak i think it's a really vibrant cool a uh, full of life a uh, white snake album i think it's the best album of that of that middle period before the american period and and the post um Bluesy and funky period where they're where they're kind of honing it down, but um, of course the other amazing thing about this record is that uh, it does have the original versions of "Crying in the Rain." and uh, here I go again, which would be two of their massive, massive hits. And those are the songs that John Kolodner says, okay, I'll work with this band on one condition. We have to bring those two songs forward and I'm, and I'm going to redo them and we're going to turn them into massive hits. So that was one of the genius things about John Kolodner. Um, if that story is absolutely accurate, but yeah, you get these two super, super strong songs and I believe they're even better in these versions because they're just a little more raw and simpler and, and stripped back. Um, but dancing girls that I played you here is the ninth out of ten tracks on this album, so it's late on side two, and it's amazing, super heavy. But my favorite um, White Snake song of all time is on this record, and that's the opening track, Young Blood. Amazing, amazing song, so much bite to it, really, really cool groove to it. But Rough and Ready's cool, Bloody Luxury is this drive and boogie barroom rocker, very, very infectious. Um, uh, rock and Roll Angels is this sort of stonesy, charming sort of song. Um, Saints and Sinners is heavy, but it's got kind of a southern bluesy feel to it. Um, so yeah, just a good, heavy, raw rock and White Snake album. Uh, and this is a band, you know, running low on batteries, uh, you know, pulling out an amazing record. And like I say, me, who actually wrote a White Snake book, is telling you that this is the greatest White Snake album of all time. All right. There you go. Um, let me see. Let me uh, let me move my notes around here. Um, so that is. Those are our five examples of rough patch successes. I wanted to do a couple of honorable mentions here. Ben Nicastro also suggested Led Zeppelin presence and uh deep purple come taste the band um pretty decent albums i'm not i'm not haters of these albums i don't think they're amazing amazing records but of the two i would say come taste the band is more of a success in a in you know an equally rough patch i mean zeppelin had the rough patch with uh the bad car accident and Robert plant having to do all this sitting down, he smashed his foot and Jimmy Page isn't in great shape. And they they kind of put this thing together really fast. Come taste the band, obviously major drug problems with uh, with Glenn Hughes, but especially uh, Tommy Bolin. So, so the big thing here is Richie Blackmore's out of the band and, you know, we're, we're right at the breaking point of how many lineup changes can, can the fans take? Um, but they pull out a pretty solid record that most deep purple fans probably probably like more than Stormbringer even, um, probably not more than Burn, but definitely more than Stormbringer. And uh, it's a good heavy album, good solid album. So yeah, that's that's a band pulling something out of the fire. I thought an interesting choice would have been Black Sabbath sabotage with all that stuff with, uh, you know, going through all that, uh, horrible, horrible, um, situation with, uh, with the Patrick Meehan management situation and being broke and wondering where all your money is and still having to make a record. And I think sabotage is possibly the greatest record of all time by anybody. I've said that before, kind of matched with Led Zeppelin physical graffiti, but, um, you know, drugs and drink and all that stuff is, is, uh, is a problem. But, but also, um, you know, they're just, they're just wondering like, where is all the money? You know, it's some of the excitement of the band, I suppose had worn off at this point and they were a little bit tired, you know, the excitement of the band, you know, probably if those guys looked back and said, what was, what was uh, our favorite time to be a part of Black Sabbath, they probably would have said the likes of, uh, you know, paranoid master of reality, um you know, there's, there's the drug cocaine album, you know, making volume four in, in, um, California, but Sabbath, bloody Sabbath, you know, I, I suppose things are getting a little weird and foggy and tired. It's still a great album, but you know, sabotage is kind of like that uh, as well. You know, and I, I often, I, I sort of thought is heaven and hell a, a rough patch album. I don't know if it is because the rough patch gets over with pretty fast. They've got Ronnie in there and things They're They're pretty happy making that record. So I think, um, I don't think that that feels too much like a like a rough patch. I think they're in pretty good shape other than Bill Ward, um, whose drinking problems are getting pretty bad there. Um, you know, uh, Jamie Laszlo last night in the Contrarians Patreon thing mentioned Crosby stills in Nash Daylight again. Um, ben DeCastro mentioned David Bowie Blackstar. Uh, I thought that was a really poignant choice because talk about a rough patch. He knows he's dying at this point. Um, he was he was um Uh, diagnosed with his cancer, I believe, in 2014. And he knew that he was just in in a bit of a race to get this thing finished. Although I hear he thought he had a few months left, and there are some demos of things where he was trying to make a follow-up to that album as well. But yeah, definitely, definitely a rough patch album because he's doing this whole thing in secrecy. He's really, really sick. Um, and, and it's an amazing album, really, really cool album. Everybody loved it. I thought the damned machine gun etiquette you could put into this as well, because the band essentially was broken up before they're kind of broken up after this is, this is a weird one-off album. And, you know, many people, myself included, consider it the greatest damned album of all time. They're not getting along with Algie Ward, um, they're just not getting a long period. Um, there's a lot of fighting and, uh, but they still pull out this great album in 1979. Um, you know, amidst, uh, should we even be continuing this thing? Uh, last night and justice for all was mentioned, you know, losing Cliff Burton, uh, Fleetwood Mac rumors was mentioned. Um, so far so good. So what was mentioned? I don't know if I would uh, agree with that so much because it it is considered probably along with the debut of those early albums, you know, one of the not great albums. So possibly we shouldn't include it for that reason. Um, you know i really think something like heart passion works uh counts as a rough patch album because uh you know that heart's fortunes has got had gone down through baby Lestrange, strange which was still pretty successful but private audition was a failure it didn't even certify gold and here they are um they're they're about to lose their deal they they changed their music and they're making kind of this nascent hair metal album uh you know very commercial but i thought it was a really successful version of that and i hate the the next bunch of hard albums but i love passion works um but it didn't even certify either which is amazing to me because i think it's just chock full of hits especially how can i refuse an allies which is actually a really good power ballad um you know and later they would have terrible power ballads i thought um but um, and the production is amazing on this record, so I, I think that's a uh, a rough patch situation because Private Audition was a really rough patch, um, a lot of lot of troubles making that record and personnel problems, and uh, and it wasn't a success at all. It was it was quite a bomb actually. So making a great album in Passion Works, I think, uh, is a good rough patch album. All right, there you go. Um, if you like the show and want to support, uh, what I'm doing here, um, I don't have a Patreon. I just have Kofi rhymes with no fee, uh, Kofi.com slash Martin Popoff. There's a red support button there. Um, you know, people have been doing $3 and well, you know. $6 $6 to I, maybe I shouldn't go into it, but there's been some nice generous contributions, uh, there, uh, as well. I don't, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but, um, but no, it's, uh, it's been, it's been cool. Uh, and on that front, I, I do want to thank, uh, Joe Beck, Bel Air Expediting, Black Sugar Transmission, and he actually redid our Contrarians theme music. I heard it for the first time last night. Very, very cool. Um, so it's, it's like a new power metal version of our Contrarians theme. That was kind of cool to hear. Uh, Bruce Campbell, uh, uh, always uh, always a uh, generous supporter to this cause David Fisher Jeremy French Kevin Latham and Augustine Garcia de Paredes uh, you can also go to martinpopoff.com um for uh for all the books I do uh rush driven I've still got copies of that that's been a, a big seller uh on on uh, down to the about the last box and a half of flaming telepaths uh imaginos uh, expanded and specified and the print situation in that. So I've got a bunch of illustrations I did in that 39 of them and I'm offering prints in the back of the book, um, and, and an image key and a mystery print and all this kind of thing. And that's actually doing kind of good. So I actually went and, uh, bit the bullet and got a supply of every single print. So those I can supply now. And I signed those with a gold pen and they're numbered one to 72. Um, and the sweet and the angel book and various things there. Um, There you go. Uh, So go uh, listen to some of these records and realize uh, the, you know, the hard graft it was making some of these and the, and the, um, you know, the bad situation, pulling, pulling a a great record uh, out of a bad situation. Um, That's it for now. We shall uh, talk to you again next time.